Amen. As we take our seats, I would invite you to turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Jonah. And we have been working our way through Jonah, and we're coming today to the third chapter. We're going to read together Jonah chapter 3, and we did consider last time the opening verses of Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to read together the whole of the chapter together. And the word of the Lord came on to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go on to Nineveh, that great city, and preach on to it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went on to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even on to the least of them. For word came on to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Amen. We land there at the end of the chapter. May the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Amen. Returning together once again in God's word to Jonah and the chapter 3. And as you look with me at Jonah chapter 3, I want to draw your attention to the words of verse 5, just centering our thoughts around verse 5 and also referring to other verses in the chapter. But verse 5 speaks to us about the revival in Nineveh. It says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. The people of Nineveh believed God, the revival in Nineveh. Let's unite in prayer and ask the Lord for help as we come to consider his word together. Our loving God and our gracious Father, 
We thank Thee that we can open up the Scriptures, that we can read and study and meditate upon Thy precious Word. We would ask, O God, that each one of us might hear, even with profit and with benefit to our hearts and souls this day. Save us, O God, from just whiling away the time and going through the ritual of another Lord's day. But give to us a heart, O God, that would have an appetite for the things of God, a heart that is hungering, a heart that is thirsting after righteousness. And, O Lord, that thou wouldst come and minister to our hearts and speak to our souls today and meet us, O God, at the very point of our spiritual need. Hear us and abide with us now by the power of thy Spirit. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, already from this chapter, we have considered the restoration of Jonah, how the Lord came and the Lord called Jonah and the Lord commissioned him and the Lord wanted him to go to Nineveh to preach the word. And of course, this was the second time that such a call and such a commission came to Jonah. But this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord and Jonah went to Nineveh to preach the word of the Lord. And so today we come to think about the revival in Nineveh. Now we thought a little bit about that city at the close of our last message. It's described here in the passage as an exceeding great city. There in verse 3. And we said it was an exceeding great city in relation to its size. It was a very large city. We said it was an exceeding great city in relation to its strength because militarily it was very strong and it had great defenses. There was a 60-mile wall right around that city. But it was exceeding great not only in relation to its size and its strength, but more particularly because of its sin. It was exceeding great in relation to its sin. And if you were to look at our Bible reading down to the verse 8, you can see that there's something of a reference there to what was going on in that particular city. It says, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And so verse 8 speaks about the evil ways of the inhabitants of Nineveh. It speaks about the violence of their hands in the city of Nineveh. We also last time thought about the further detail and description that was given in Nahum, the chapter 3 and the verse 1. And it says it was a bloody city that was full of lies and robbery. When you think about the state of that particular place, 
And you think of the evil, the wickedness, and the sin that was rampant there. It's not hard really for us to imagine what it must have been like. Because the description in the Bible that is given of the exceeding great city of Nineveh, it could be a description given even of the days in which we are living. Because iniquity and sin seems to be abounding on every hand. And what this city of Nineveh needed was a man sent from God. A man sent from God with a message from God. And that's exactly what Nineveh got. Jonah was a man sent from God with a message from God. He was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. And here was a city that was ripe for the judgment of God. And yet this is the very place that experienced revival. And we would have to say in wrath, God remembered mercy. Because except Nineveh had experienced revival, Nineveh was going to be overthrown. And those inhabitants of this exceeding great city, they were going to perish and they were going to be destroyed. When you look at the message there in verse 4, here's the message that Jonah was to preach. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There were only forty days left. Forty days left. And God was going to visit Nineveh in judgment 40 days and Nineveh would perish. And here we can see in mercy, revival came to Nineveh. And revival was Nineveh's only hope. Now, whenever you think of the place of Nineveh and how it is described in the Word of God and how it could be a mirror reflection of the days in which we live with all of the sin that seems to encompass our land and nation, and many today would say there's no hope left for our land and nation. Well, of God, even at that late stage, if God intervened for Nineveh, then God can intervene in our land again. And the desperate need today across our land and nation is for God to come and for God to intervene and for the Lord himself to break through, for the Lord to move in Holy Ghost power. And it's never too late for the Lord to move again in such a way. If Nineveh only had 40 days, and 40 in the Bible is the number of proving, the number of testing, the number of probation, if you like. And here is another example of that. There are many other examples where that number 40 appears in the Bible, such as the 40 years in the wilderness. That was a time of testing for Israel. And here we can see there was that 40-day reference. And within this time, it was a time almost of, of proving and of testing. But it was in that 40-day period that the Lord stepped in 
and that God moved and that revival broke out in that exceeding great city. And so for a few minutes together, I want us to consider the revival in Nineveh. And firstly, we notice together the focus of revival. And the focus of revival was God's Word. When you look at chapter 3 and the verse 1, and I want you to notice in these verses the emphasis that is given to God's Word. Verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. The word of the Lord. In verse 2, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And there's the word of the Lord, and there's the preaching of the word of the Lord, the preaching that the Lord would bid him. And in verse 3, So Jonah arose and went on to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. The emphasis there is upon God's word, upon the preaching of God's word. And that must be the focus, the foundation, the center, the heart of any revival and any move of God. God's word going forth, God's word being preached. Paul was wanting to encourage Timothy and to charge Timothy. And he said to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And that's forever God's ordained means. Paul said to the Corinthians, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And that's God's way, the preaching of the word. It says of the early church in the book of the Acts that they went everywhere preaching the word. And God has given to us the very means. He has given to us uh, the instrument that will be used in every move of God. And that is the Word of God. The Word of God preached by the servant of the Lord. It's not looking for new innovative methods. It's not telling stories that will tickle the ears. It's not sentimentalism. It's not generating excitement and emotion that appeals to the flesh. No, it's the old-fashioned ordained means of preaching the Word of God. That must be at the focus of revival. Jonah went forth as a preacher of the Word. What was his preaching like? Well, we're given some indication of that. When you look in verse 4, it says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried. And so we could say he preached publicly. He entered into the city, and he cried. Jonah was probably there in the open air. Just wherever the crowds of people were, there's Jonah, and he's seeking to reach out, and he's preaching there publicly. You know, in Belfast, there's a consultation process underway. In fact, that consultation process 
closes tomorrow at 5 p.m. And you would still have time to make a submission to that. But what they're proposing is a new bylaw. And it's a new bylaw that will effectively ban open-air preaching in the center of our capital city. And you're not allowed to come in with any amplification. You're not allowed to have any uh, distribution of literature or anything like that. And if they're successful in Belfast at banning the preaching of the gospel in the open air, then it's likely they will want to roll that out further right across our province. And they're going to bring these restrictions upon the preaching of the word publicly. And we would need to be against that. Jonah entered into Nineveh. And he preached publicly. He preached passionately. That word cried there in verse 4. Oh, he came here was a man with passion as he preached. He entered into the city and he cried. He cried out to be heard. He had a message from God. Jonah believed what he preached and he preached what he believed and he was preaching with conviction and he was preaching with passion. Preaching from the heart in order that he might reach the heart. Preached publicly. Preached passionately. He preached pointedly. You see that message in verse 4? It's just a short message. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And Jonah's preaching there was dealing with the consequences of their sin. And he was very direct, and he was very pointed, and he was speaking to them about the sin and the evil and the wickedness and the consequences that that was bringing upon them. And he said, in 40 days, the Lord's going to overthrow this place. The Lord's going to come in judgment. Judgment of God against sin. And so he was very direct and pointed in his message. Jonah's preaching, he was preaching plainly. You, could, you couldn't mistake the message of Jonah. You couldn't misunderstand the message of Jonah. Whenever Jonah got up publicly and he preached passionately and pointedly, it was a plain message. Plain and simple that you could not misunderstand or misinterpret in any way. Sometimes we find ourselves on various occasions being in other places and you hear someone getting up to preach and at the end of their preaching you'd be asking yourself, what did they really say? Did, did they have anything to say at all? Did they have a message? Was there anything there from the Lord? Was there anything of gospel light? That criticism could never have been leveled at Jonah. Jonah was one who preached plainly. He cut to the chase. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 and the verse 4, he said, My speech and my preaching 
was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul's preaching. You wouldn't misunderstand the preaching of the Apostle Paul, and the message of the gospel must ever be put forth in such a fashion. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receiveth sinful men. The focus of revival is the preaching of God's word. There's no other substitute for that. But then, not only do we see the focus of revival, I want you to see the fruit of revival. And that's really where we come to that text of Scripture, verse 5. And it tells us here, So the people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah has preached forth the word of God. He has faithfully brought the message from the Lord. And we see here that his preaching called for a response. His preaching there was a challenge to the inhabitants of Nineveh. And they could respond in one of two ways. Oh, they could reject the message. And they could refuse the word of God. Or they could accept it. They could believe it. Thank God, by the grace of God, it tells us that they believed. They believed God. You see, you cannot be neutral. It's one way or the other. You cannot sit on the fence here. If you're not for the Lord, then you're against the Lord. If you do not accept and believe on the Lord, then you're rejecting the Lord. It's not neutral. The people of Nineveh believed. The fruit of revival is faith. It's faith in the Lord. And if you're not saved, this applies to you today. The message of the gospel would go forth, sounded forth from this pulpit And it's a challenge to our hearts as to how do we respond to the message from the Lord. Like Nineveh, do we accept? Do we believe? Do we have that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, it's a simple statement here in verse 5, but it's a statement of faith. So the people of Nineveh believed God. The same people who had been running rampant in sin and in evil, in violence across the city, they now believe God. The Word of God has pierced into their hearts. The entrance of God's Word has given light to their soul, and they came to faith in God. And to do that, they were accepting before God that they were sinners, that they had violated his holy law, that they were facing the judgment of God against sin. And so when it tells us they believed God, they were turning to the Lord from sin. They were turning to the Lord in faith. It wasn't Jonah's efforts here was the mercy of God to those Ninevites. You see, it's not by man's might nor by man's power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. What is the answer today to our troubled land? 
What is the answer today to troubled hearts and to troubled homes? It's a move of God. The Lord breaking through in Holy Ghost power. The Lord stirring and moving the hearts of individuals and bringing them to faith in Christ. You think of the message that the Philippian jailer received in Acts 16 and 31. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. If you come to faith today. You look to that time in your life when you heard the word of God, you heard the message of the gospel, and you came to believe. You came to trust. You came to accept the Lord as your Savior. The fruit of revival is faith in God. But we see here as well, there was not only faith, there was repentance. That's another fruit of revival. Faith that is followed swiftly by repentance. And in verse 5 here, it goes on to say that they proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth. They put on sackcloth. Sackcloth in the Bible is a symbol of mourning. It's a symbol of humility, and it is a symbol of repentance. What was that sackcloth? Well, it was a very rough, a very coarse material, probably like goat's hair, and it was worn right next to the skin, and therefore it would have been that constant reminder of the state that they found themselves in. And that sackcloth was external and outward, but it was a symbol of the inward feeling of their heart. And to put on sackcloth was to express humility of heart. It was to express that mourning and that sorrow. And here in Nineveh, it was a sorrow for sin. And it was a mourning over their sinful condition. Genesis 37 and the verse 34, we read about Jacob. It says, And Jacob rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Whenever Jacob thought he had lost Joseph, he put on the sackcloth And he mourned for his son many days. And for the Ninevites, they're mourning. But it's not mourning in the sense of bereavement. It's a mourning over sin. And it's an indication of how genuine they were in their turning to the Lord and believing on the Lord. Faith and repentance will always go together. Coming to faith and trust in the Lord and repenting and turning from sin with a sorrow for that sin. It's the fruit of revival. Another fruit of revival there in verse 5 is mentioned as well. It says they proclaimed the fast. And that's that further indication of a submission to the Lord, a willingness just to submit before the Lord and to put the Lord first. 
and legitimate things such as as eating, necessary things such as eating, they're set aside because the priority is just to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And therefore, the time that they would have normally taken up with eating and with drinking, they're saying, "Just, just devote that time now to seeking the Lord. What a change there is in that city. You ever miss a meal just to seek the Lord's face? Here in Nineveh, that was, that was the fruit of revival, putting the Lord first. There was faith, there was repentance, there was fasting, there was seeking of the Lord. Then I want you to notice the fullness of revival from verse 5. Because the end of verse 5 says, From the greatest of them, even to the least of them. The greatest to the least in the city of Nineveh. Revival, you see, was taking in everybody here. It was sweeping through all classes of society, if you like. It was going to all levels and all ranks of society, from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And you could apply those words to age, those who were were seniors and those who were just children, from the greatest to the least. In the 1859 revival broke out in Ulster. It was a revival that even affected the children. There are accounts of children in the school playground having times of prayer. That's revival. And from the greatest of them to the least of them, they're all here turning from sin and turning to the Lord. Reaches into the palace. You notice in verse 6, for the word... For word came on to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Here's the king, and he's stepping down from the royal throne, and he's taking off his royal attire, his royal robes, and he's putting on that sackcloth. The very king of Nineveh is repenting of his sin. Not only the sackcloth here, but the ashes are mentioned as well. Ashes in the Bible is another sign of of mourning and of sorrow. Someone lost a loved one in the Bible, they would put on the sackcloth and they would get ashes and they would then uh, cover their face with the ashes, blacken their faces. It wasn't a pretty sight. But if you looked upon such an individual, there was the outward external evidence of how they were feeling within. They were mourning, they were in sorrow, they had the sackcloth on, they had the ashes upon them. And here you have the very king and he has put on the sackcloth and he's covered uh, with the ashes as well. That's why whenever you would read in Isaiah that the Lord is able to give beauty for ashes, that's what it's referring to. The ashes put upon the face wouldn't be a pretty sight with the face uh, blackened with the ashes, but the Lord says, I can change that. I can take that away. I can give you beauty for ashes. 
And that's really what revival is. The Lord is able to step in in such a situation. And so the king here is the one who decrees throughout the city that everyone must turn and seek the Lord and that everyone must set aside every other uh, duty and every other legitimate thing and they must seek the Lord. That's revival. Look at verse 8. This is the decree from the king. He's saying, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Cry mightily to God. It's not just a prayer. Not just a cry. But oh, it's to cry mightily. To cry mightily unto God for that intervention for God to show mercy. That as they turn from their sin, that God would be merciful to them. Every level of society here, from the greatest of them, even to the least of them, from the very throne right down to the individual. A city that has now been changed and transformed by the power of God. Oh, to see it, to experience it, to witness it. Psalm 85, it has that prayerful desire. Wilt thou not? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Wilt thou not revive us again? Oh, that we could cry mightily unto the Lord and that the Lord would send us that breath of revival. Oh, may the Lord hear. May the Lord answer prayer. Let's bow together and let us seek God's face. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious word. We thank Thee, our Father, this morning for the challenge of Thy precious Word. We rejoice, O God, in being able to read about revival, reading about revival in Nineveh. We can read about revival down through history. Those periods, O God, when Thou didst step in, Thou didst come in such a dark day. And we know that it's always darkest before the dawn. Though, Lord, we pray that Thou wouldst break through in great power. Oh, that Thou wouldst rend the heavens, that Thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at Thy presence. Lord, be gracious and be merciful to us. And the prayer of our heart would be, Lord, send us revival. Tarry with us, our Father, around Thy table. And for those that will take their leave from us, may thy presence go with them and grant that each one of us would look by faith to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.